It's our pledge drive here on NPR, and we have a 20-minute field recording of a tumluku, which is a Bosnian instrument which can only be played when you have a pierced scrotum and three kids who have been killed by a landmine. It's unlistenable radio! You understand me? You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. Totally listenable radio.
love sculpture there for you. Kicking off this uh, week's installment of Stereoscopic Readout, your source for psychedelic music, garage rock, freak beat, acid punk, progressive, and other socially and musically relevant artifacts from 1965 to today. And that was uh, that was Love Sculpture's, um, how do you put it, arrangement of Ketchaturian Sabre Dance. Um, was a live favorite of theirs, but it wasn't until they performed the song on John Peel's Top Gear show on the BBC in 1967 that they realized they should put it out as a single because they had so many requests for that song or a replay of that song that uh, John Peel had to play it a second time and that totally upset the rest of the day's broadcasting on the BBC. And you're listening to 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio. I'm Darren, and as I mentioned, the show is Stereoscopic Readout. And tonight is a special show because this is Stereoscopic Readout's first anniversary yes the show's been on the air for a year now started um well not on may the 1st of last year i think it was may the 5th but uh yeah let's start early let's start with the ramones there are several fine young men who i'm sure are gonna go far ladies and gentlemen the ramones these minstrels will soothe my jangled nerves I'd just like to say this gig sucks. Hey, up your Springfield. One, two, three, four. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Bernsey. Happy birthday to you. Go to hell, you old bastard. Hey, I think they liked us. Have the Rolling Stones killed? Oh, sir, those aren't... Do as they say. All right. <laughs> so there we go. Um, I tried to have some kind of special programming tonight, but uh, things didn't really quite work out the way it did. But I'm going to replay a couple of um, uh, things that I did over the course of the last year. And I'm going to start off kind of with a history of why I'm into psych music and that kind of thing. And I'm going to start off with the Beatles because for some reason well I wouldn't really say for some reason everything starts off with the Beatles but the Beatles were my first experience with uh, the weird and wonderful sounds of psychedelia when I saw in my early teens the movie Yellow Submarine for the first time and of course I was just blown away with the fact that music didn't have to sound like normal strummy guitars and nice polite bass and songs about you know whatever love and puppy dogs and what have you and uh it was there was this exoticism to it which captured my imagination immediately and really none more so at the time than this particular song which kind of doesn't close out the movie but it's certainly the last song of the animated portion of the film and it's all too much and this is going to start off a few songs from my past, which kind of led me down the road to where I am today and you listening to me. Thank you. 
along the coast you'll hear them boast about a light they say that shines so clear so raise your glass we'll drink a toast to the little man who sells you thrills along the pier he'll take you up he'll bring you down he'll plant your feet back firmly on the ground Life's so high, he swoops so low He knows exactly which way he's gonna go
That's the Creeps out of Sweden for you there on Stereoscopic Readout. And you're currently listening to 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver. Um, And I'm Darren, your host. And you're listening to a special first anniversary broadcast of Stereoscopic Readout this Thursday evening. I'm here till... Well, just under another hour from now when Bleak gets in to do Exquisite Corpse. And then Ben Lai is in at 9 with Live from Thunderbird Radio Hell. I believe for the month of May there will be no live acts um, on Thunderbird. More's the pity. But you do get to hear some great indie rock that Ben spins for you. Cliff will be in at 11 with Laugh Tracks. And I don't know, apparently JT is no longer doing... um, do, 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 do. JT is no longer doing raw radio, unfortunately. So the broadcast day ends at midnight or one or whenever it is that uh, Laugh Tracks ends. So uh, that was a set of sort of giving you an idea of what lured me into this pit of collecting psychedelic records and tracking down a ton of obscure bands. Well, it started off with the Beatles, as I explained earlier. Um, And then somewhere during high school, probably around grade 10 on Much Music, back in the day when they actually still used to play music videos on Much Music, and they still used to play videos that weren't heavily, um, shall we say, promoted, quote-unquote, by major record labels uh, to get airplay on much music. Uh, one day, watching much music, there was this video for the Jimi Hendrix experience doing Are You Experienced, which completely blew my mind. I had never heard backwards guitar before, and that was pretty much that pretty much sealed the deal. And then uh, the Moody Blues followed that with Legend of a Mind from their album, their third album, Search for the Lost Chord, released in 1968, and that kind of marks the how shall I put that sort of marked the discovery of the existence of this concept called a second-hand record store. I bought, picked that up at um, Records on Wheels in Oakville, Ontario, if anybody remembers that place who's listening, uh, who hails from Oakville or the greater Toronto area. Yeah, it was, um, I, I did, wasn't aware you could actually buy old records for like $2.50. It was it was it was a, it was a watershed moment in my life. <laughs> so, needless to say, when upon returning to Montreal, because that's where I grew up, was in uh, the West Island of Montreal, I quickly found out that they had two such um, dealerships in downtown Montreal, you know, referred or known as Cheap Thrills. There, they had two locations. One was on Bishop Street. I can't remember where the other one was on, or where the other one was. Um, and I made a beeline down there, and lo and behold, found out that not only could you get the obvious stuff like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix and etc. But you could get all this wonderfully obscure music on these Pebbles and Nuggets compilations. So after the Moody Blues, you heard the Prophets, a band from Iowa. Um, And as is often the case with these compilations, I really don't know much about them other than what the compilation liner notes say. So the compilation liner notes say that they're from... Iowa, they recorded, yes, I know, the Twin Spin label, and then promptly disappeared. 
uh, Pebbles Volume 22 that's on. I don't know if I'm, I forgot if I just mentioned that. And of course, at the same time, I bought the Prof or the uh, Pebbles Volume 22. I also discovered there were bands around at that time. And we're talking like 1988, 1989 here, making the same music that I loved that wasn't 20 years old. Um, at the time, it was 20 years old. So you heard the creeps from Sweden, and that was from um, I think it's their second album called "Enjoy the Creeps." And you heard "Ain't No Square," and the keen-eared among you will um, notice that they pretty much lifted several riffs from the Sonics song "He's Waiting." So there you go. Uh, coming right up are some, well, shall I say? Words for, I wouldn't say words from our sponsors, PSAs and show promos for you. Uh, but I'm going to be returning with some Mock Duck, which was the song I'm going to play is essentially the song that then put the final piece of the puzzle in for me. And was the, that moment when I realized not only did I have to track down or did I have to sort of assume that there was all this wonderful music coming from elsewhere in the world. There was wonderful music at that time coming right from here in our own backyard. And first of all, I'd like to pay homage to the guy who got me the gig here last year, Mr. Bryce Dunn, who hosts a show on Tuesday mornings called Third Time's a Charm. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Let's stop that. Helps if I turn the CPU slider up here. Let's try this again. Let's make rock and roll! First, we need a drummer to give us the beat. Now we need an electric bass guitar to boom out the low notes. Ah, here you go, yeah! Then we need a regular electric guitar playing some simple chords. Third Time's the Charm, every Tuesday morning, 9.30 to 11.30 a.m., right here on CITR, 101.9 FM, Vancouver. relaxing massages, learn belly dancing, get a traditional henna tattoo, all the services and shopping you need in one place for a minimum donation of $5 per service. Enter the 50-50 draw with proceeds benefiting BC Children's Hospital and drop off non-perishable food items for the Salvation Army. Everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a mom to take part in all the fun food and activities. 
It all takes place Sunday, May 4th at the Inn at Westminster Quay, Hayek Room from 12 to 4 p.m. Additional information and advanced tickets can be purchased by contacting fanevents at tubesocial.ca. Come have a fun day for Mother's Day.
Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck there for you on 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio, and the show you're listening to is Stereoscopic Readout, hosted by me, your host, Darren. Um, And you're also listening to the Stereoscopic Readout first birthday party, first anniversary special, as it were. Um, And that was a set of some of the great Vancouver bands of the 60s, started that off with Mock Duck, and as I said, that was the band that tipped me off, that there was a whole heritage of music here in Vancouver that I hadn't heard before at the time. I think it was 1997 I was driving around and had the radio tuned to, dare I say it, CL 650. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they played Mock, they played uh, Do Re Mi, which you heard. And I realized I just had to find that song immediately. And, of course, I figured the people who'd know about it would be... Because the name Ock Duck was somewhat familiar to me as a Vancouver band, but I assumed that they were from the 70s and they sounded they would have probably sounded like a substandard version of Chilliwack or something. But uh, I went to Neptune Records, which at the time was located at Fraser and 41st. It is now on Main Street um, near 16th. I think it's down further towards, like, 14th or 13th or something. But uh, 
yeah, it's uh, worth a worth a look down there. Um, talked to Rob Frith there, and he said, no, 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 that's uh, Mock Duck is definitely a Vancouver band, and uh, produced a copy of the History of Vancouver Rock and Roll, Volume Four, put out by the Vancouver Record Collectors Association. Um, Neptune still has that because it is still in print, um, or they should have it next time you're down there if you're con- if you're contemplating buying it. Uh, lots of really good stuff on it. Uh, Northwest Company, who you heard also there. Um, William Tell and the Marksman, the Shockers, the Eternal Triangle, Spring, col- early col- early unissued collectors um, singles. The or it's not singles, but demos. The Look, uh, One Way Street is another excellent band. So, that was kind of the song that started it off, Mock Duck, followed by The Collectors and What Is Love from their first album, self-titled album released in 1968, Mindle Will Ring. Um, that, incidentally, a Vancouver band which started off my, I think, four-year habit of uh, psychedelic poster collecting. Um, it was a Mindle Ring poster. That was the first one I ever bought, and it still hangs in my bedroom. Uh, you heard Orange Float Petals from their self-titled indie release of 2000 better late than never i think that was actually their first official release of any of any sort uh followed them with the northwest company from haney uh, which is now maple ridge and hard to cry and then mother tucker's yellow duck with elevated platform and mother tucker's yellow duck as a bit of trivia um i think they hold the record for the most requests phoned into um the show we don't get a lot of requests, and I think every time somebody's phoned in to request something, it's usually been for uh, Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck. I think I've had a uh, request for the collectors once. So if you were out there thinking of phoning in and requesting either the collectors or Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck, I'm way ahead of you, buddy. Speaking of phoning in, um, well, actually, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, back in December for Christmas, I was going to do a Christmas special, and as a present, I was going to play some interviews I'd done with Jerry Cruz, manager of the United Empire Loyalists back in the day, and Richard Cruikshank, the first drummer of the United Empire Loyalists back in the day, on their recollections of the Grateful Dead's first visit to Vancouver in June of 1966, and I am going to play those for you again, starting uh, in a couple of seconds, but speaking of phoning in... uh, the number is 604-822-2487. That is 604-UBC-CITR if you want to spell it out. And I have two tickets to see Dead Meadow Sunday, May the 18th at Richards on Richards. Two for Dead Meadow to the first person who calls 604-822-2487. This is Richard Cruikshank. Actually, maybe we can go back to the, uh, the Grateful Dead visit then. Um, so, I mean, so you... Uh, anyway, they played at the trip festival. Nobody knew who they were. Yeah. They weren't mainline. Um, it was Janis Joplin. It was uh, Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Holding Company. Yeah. Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead. Uh-huh. The Grateful Dead was sort of, I don't know where they were on the line. But they weren't on the top. No. Um, but obviously I went to the trip festival and I saw the dead. And um, that's where I was most impressed with. Okay. I just thought, these guys are going to do something. Oh, yeah. So you, you hadn't, in fact, met them when you were in San Francisco, or had you? No, no. no. I, they had that, that prompted my first trip to San Francisco. 
So I went backstage to where they were, you know, underneath the stage. Uh-huh. I own this. I own a like, like, used to call it psychedelic dance hall. Yeah. And, um, you want to play for me next week? And they said, sure. I said, well, I'll pay you $500 and I'll put you up in a hotel. Okay. Yeah. That's how they came to the main line. So, actually, I never realized it until I was talking to Rob. And, you know, I, I realized that I hadn't had actually done it. But um, that was actually the first, that trip festival was the first time they played out of the United States. Yeah. And the time they performed for me, then was actually the first time that they were mainlined as a feature group. Oh, really? So I didn't even know it was credited to doing that until I was talking to Rob couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, anyways, the fear was that they were afraid all that week that nobody would know who they were. Yeah. And I, and Osley, and that's not really written up a lot in the history books either. Have you ever heard of the name Osley? Augustus Osley Stanley III. Well, Osley was a, was a notorious LSD dealer. Yeah. At that time. And he, he, he was their manager. Oh, really? But I had talked with Gary Garcia, Phil Leach, and somehow pushed him aside and he was there, right? Oh yeah. But I didn't know about LSD and I didn't know about all of that stuff. Uh-huh. Right? I knew about the drug, but I was still not really that aware of that whole thing. Uh-huh. And uh, so anyways, I agreed, put them, so I put them in this hotel on Kingsway and we hung out for that whole week. But their whole, but what really struck was the first day when I had them in that hotel, they, they thought it was cool, it was like this big dorm. Yeah. All of them in one big room. Uh-huh. And I remember the person coming up to me and overtowering me. I mean, I was just a short little bugger, right? Yeah. I'm short, but the person overtowering me and saying, do you know who I am? No. He says, I'm Osley, and I manage this group that you just booked on your own, right? Uh-huh. Like, the audacity that I can do that. And um, you can't put them in these dwellings. It's not good enough for them, right? And I said, hey, sorry. This is it. This is it. You know, yeah. there ain't anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I am. Mm-hmm. There's a whole point that I should have known. Totally, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I guess that's why he just rolled over and disappeared, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I never realized I it wasn't so much later. But, you know, do you know who you just stood up to? <laughs> no. Explain it to me, right? But um, I had no idea that that's who I was standing up to. So anyways, the band stayed, and we got along. We just sort of bonded, I guess, was the word. And uh, they were very concerned that nobody would know who they were. Uh-huh. So they saw this disease. One of the things during that week is they... They played at Dick Crookshank's house. They needed a place to practice. Yeah. Okay, so they practiced in territory on holidays. Uh-huh. They totally didn't know that the Grateful Dead were going to practice in their house. Oh, no. Richard did. He said it was okay. But his parents didn't know that. Parents were away. No. Yeah. <laughs> they were. But everybody turned up for that. I always thought the whole house was destroyed, right? Oh, yeah? And again, so I just talked to Richard. You know, he says this is... This, you know, this, the story has gone along for this party, right? Uh-huh. How the house was destroyed and how everything was wrecked. And he says, but nothing was wrecked, Jerry. The only thing was there was a fire in one 
that I started, that Richard started, uh-huh. tells me about, like, he was through a cigarette, and all the food was gone out of the fridge. <laughs> but the story that got painted over the years was, you know, how they smashed the house. Oh, yeah. But in fact, that didn't happen. Which I thought was interesting. In other words, they behaved themselves. Yes. They practiced. They just, everybody happened to come to the house for the party. Uh-huh. Well, it turned into a party, but that was not the important. Just legitimately them to go to find a place to practice. Yes. And play. Okay. Um, what was the other thing I was gonna like about? Did they? Was it just the band and some of their crew, or was there sort of an entourage that they had? Uh, everybody, an entourage appeared. I don't know where they came from, or how the word got out. You know, but obviously the what I call the underground movement of the alternate, the alternative. Lifestyle. Yes. Word got out to there. Oh, okay. It may appear. <laughs> to my shock. Mm. And to North Vancouver, that was quite a shock. How people found out about it, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, when we were, at some point, we were going, you know, going through to North Van. Uh huh. And they saw this gazebo, and um, they just wanted to play. They said, hey, if we play in this gazebo, everybody would know who we are there. We well, just can't play in the gazebo like that. And they said, yeah, we can. If you stop the car and let us. <laughs> so, um, they did. Huh. And, um, I, they said, go and get a key for it. And I just listened to them, and I went to the lifeguard, got a key. And, um, they jammed. Uh-huh. They played. In the middle of an afternoon. Neat. Uh, how did that seem to go over? Um, traffic was stopped. Um, nothing moved. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. It was a wonderful concert. And um, eventually, these came and stopped them. Oh, yeah. But uh, it was just a neat concert. Like, was it was it just people stopping because there was a band, or was it people be- stopping because it was a, a band of long-haired people playing? Long-haired people. Oh, I see. But nobody really knew that. People did what no one. Mm-hmm. That was their, their whole point was they wanted to know who the Grateful Dead were. Okay. They hadn't had any recordings out, nothing. They weren't anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I sure the hell didn't know that they were going to go on to become, you know, who they did get on and become. That time didn't happen. So anyways, then I had them in the dance hall. Yeah. And um, obviously it worked because um, the dance hall was jammed. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't put another body in there. <laughs> it was just... Mm. Yeah, it was the fullest that place had ever been. Really? Yeah, I think uh, Jeff mentioned something about the cops showing up to that, too. I and showed up to that and told me it was 12 o'clock and I had to close it down. Uh-huh. They were playing midnight hour at 12 o'clock. Uh-huh. And um, just coincidence, I, I don't think they've ever recorded that. Mm-hmm. You know, so midnight hour, the R&B song? Yes. They were literally paying it at midnight. I remember the police coming to me and telling me that I had to stop it. And I said, if you want this stop, okay, you go up on stage. You think you're good enough here. I should have hell not going up on that stage and telling you. I don't want to ride on my hand. The police just turned around and walked out. Oh, yeah. Neat. Neat. Um. And we had no problem. But that comes into that class, you know. Now as a, as a social worker, I can you know, analyze it more. Know, had the police, which they've done so many typical times, yeah. come in 
and tried to crash that, uh-huh. it would have just turned into a horrendous riot. Yeah.
Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I knocked off this house, there, and everybody was perfect. Not a thing went wrong. The only damage to the house I caused by leaving a cigarette, I used to smoke for them all. Yeah. And I left a cigarette in an ashtray, and it burned the top of my parents' old wooden stereo set. That's how they used to be in those days, one small big unit. Not a thing was broken or missing or anything. Just whole. They must have had 30 people in the house. Nobody's seen anything like it. It was then all these guys with shoulder-length hair. Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody had shoulder-length, not a one person, you know? And then suddenly there's the Grateful Dead cruising around. And they were the nicest people. I thought I remember them. They were really sweet people. But uh, they, the Grateful Dead played in my parents' house. We lived over in a, near uh, what was formerly Hillside High School. Oh, yeah. In West End, which is near, say, 22nd in Ottawa. Uh -huh. And so picture this. It's either 66 or 67. I'm trying to remember. Let's see, how old would I be? I'm born in 49. So in 66, I'd be 16, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Just be turning 16. Yeah. And so it must have been 66, and nobody had seen anybody with long hair. Oh, yeah. And these people were there, and they came in and played and rehearsed and made our equipment. We had all our equipment set up, my Ludwig drums. Uh-huh. Uh, Ludwig's and um, I think had Ludwig's snare drum, and then all this Fender amplifiers that we had. And the guys, of course, brought their own guitars. I don't know what they did for organ, because we didn't have an organ at the time, but maybe they brought an organ amp or something and a small organ. And what happened is that they just played, and the neighbor could hear it. The neighbors, you know, you're surrounded by a fairly higher, fairly upper-middle-class neighborhood. Yeah. So all the business owners, dentists living across the street, teachers, retired teachers, and everything. My, my stepfather was a retired teacher. So it was a fairly, you know, upper-middle-class neighborhood, and nobody, nobody could believe it. But everybody was cool. Nobody was freaking out. They were just going, oh, this is interesting. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, this is an interesting thing, and going along doing their number. And uh, the guys, guys played, and I guess you could hear it outside. You must have been able to hear it. So it was quite a, a fun thing. And they were just, as I mentioned, they were really good people. There was no problem at all, not yeah. a single problem. Yeah. Nothing went, you know, you imagine a house full of people you don't know and never have seen. Nothing went missing. There was absolutely no damage. The only thing was the food was uh, they had people who were like road crew, and they just went to the fridge and took all the food out to <laughs> cook and feed all the people because they had to. Yeah. So the fridge was empty, but it was clean. It was Spotless. Oh, neat. But empty, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so they were very, very good people. The and they sounded great, too. Like, we couldn't believe they made our equipment sound so good. So oh, yeah. So, we'll sound better if we have better equipment, was always the thought, you know, of a 16-year-old yeah. kid. Oop, that ended kind of quickly. Uh, yes, um, dope. <laughs> Richard Cruikshank, drummer of the United Empire Loyalists, talking about having the Grateful Dead jamming in his parents' living room in 1966. Preceded that with the band that he was in at the time. Um, however, it doesn't feature him on drums. That is, was the United Empire Loyalists with the 1970 recording of Looking and Searching, um, a song they played on the CBC television show Enterprise in 1968 when they were still a five-piece. But uh, by 1970, they had lost a couple of members and changed drummers. So it was Rick Enns uh, on bass and vocals, Jeff Redley on guitar, and Glenn Hendrickson on drums. Glenn, Hend sorry, Glenn Hendrickson, who also played drums for Mock Duck, whom I played earlier. Um, and before... The United Empire Loyalists, you heard from their manager, Jerry Cruz. Um, sorry, I got mixed up there. I announced the Jerry Cruz interview as Richard Cruikshank, but uh, that was Jerry Cruz talking about how he decided he wanted to get 
the Grateful Dead to play the Afterthought, which was a weekend club held at the time at the Pender Auditorium, which is now no longer there, burned down quite a few years ago. It was the building where uh, Miss T's Cabaret in the basement. Some of you may may remember that venue. Um, The Afterthought actually moved around quite a lot. Uh, It started out at a church, uh, I think it was 27th and Granville, it started out at, and it eventually moved to the Pender Auditorium, and then eventually also to the Russian Community Center on 4th, uh, 2114 West 4th Avenue, um, before the focus of the scene shifted to uh, Roger Schiffer and his club, the Retinal Circus on Davy, which is now Celebrities. Um, coming into the last seven minutes and change of the show, this is Stereoscopic Readout on 101.9 FM CITR in Vancouver. Bleak is up next with Exquisite Corpse, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to end this first anniversary special with some lo- more local talent, more new local talent, and I'm talking about the Green Hour, some um, great band I ran into about a year ago at Sean Law's place, Sean Law hosting Caught in the Red on Wednesday evening night and Wednesday evenings from ten to midnight. And uh this is from their brand new self titled C D. Uh the song is the Clock Tower's Request. That's all from me this week. See you next week.
flashing lights in an English. 